Unburdened. Welcome to the pilot episode of Unburdened. Uh, my name is Rashani, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, uh, Gerald and Corbin. Um, honestly, I don't know everything that's going to come from this show. I just know what I want to put into this show. Um, I want to make this show a space where black men can talk about their fears. A place where black men can talk about their troubles. Um, a, safe, a, a, a safe space, if you will, where black men can talk about their mental health uh, without fear of being judged or anything like that. Now, with that said, when I say that I want this to be a space where black men can talk about their troubles, this is not a place where you can drop off misogyny. It's not a place where you could say my 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 child's mom or somebody so and so is just getting on me so tough. It, it's not one of those type things. Um, we are here to listen without judgment, but we also want to strive to be uh, as responsible as possible uh, for uh, our actions and our our language. Um. I just want to start off uh, by reading this, some pieces of this article uh, about black men and mental health. Um, a study published in the American Journal of Public Health noted that uh, black men who reported more police contact experienced more symptoms of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, however, Few of us, meaning black men, seek mental health care. Uh, black men may avoid seeking mental health care due to stigma, mistrust of providers, or lack of culturally informed care. Um, according to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, 18.6% of African Americans report living with a mental health condition, but only 169 report using mental health treatment. Um... Studies show that black men are often socialized or grow up in homes where masculinity is emphasized and men are not encouraged to talk about their feelings and emotions. Uh, and although the mental health profession has work to do to address barriers to treatment, there must be a change in the black community to foster and improve perceptions of mental health services. Given that therapists are often white, some African Americans may be more likely to avoid treatment. Um, and it is overall paramount that we identify ways to improve treatment seeking. What are y'all's thoughts about uh, mental health in black men um, and in the in our communities overall? Uh, Gerald, you go right ahead. I'll let you start. All right. Um, you know, my my overall feeling about it is that it's just another layer of trouble that we place on ourselves. I mean, it's almost like every everywhere you look, there's just another 
ingrained cultural thing that is designed to keep black people from improving ourselves individually and as a community. And some of that stuff is externally, you know, layered on us. And some of it is internal. And a lot of it, it's kind of, it's both, right? It's generational and it started external and we've gotten so far down the line that we don't even realize it. And now it's, we just place these unhealthy barriers on ourselves based on a history that we don't even realize exists. And I think when it comes to mental health, that's, that's probably one of the things that, that works like that is we don't have the option of being broken and needing help. We are, we just have to figure it out and we just have to shut it down and suck it up and do the work and just, I don't know. We, 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 we hurt ourselves and we hurt each other so much because we just don't, we don't accept that people can need something more than just an attitude adjustment. I don't want to place blame, so I won't. Uh, I just I I know that it has been such a battle within myself uh, to first of all talk uh, about any issues that I'm having, uh, whether it's uh, depression or or helplessness or uh, really just feeling like the world is falling in on me for a long time. Those conversations wouldn't happen anywhere but within myself. And um, when you have those conversations within yourself, you start to manifest. uh, At least I started to manifest a second party, a second opinion within myself who would um, vet my circumstances. And that second party would always vet my circumstances and come to the same conclusion, which is, uh, huh? It's your fault. It's my fault. Toughen up. Uh, stop complaining. Nobody's got time for that. Um, and it actually got to the point where that second voice is now so strong, uh, that I hear it, uh, when I am just, regular small struggles, video games. If I lose at a level like six times, that voice comes in and reminds me about how much I suck. Um, If things just start falling on top of each other, that voice will tell me that uh, I'm not the only person in the world who's going through it. So um, That's the big thing. I think I do the same thing. I internalize that, that, you know, everybody has problems. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what I'm going through, I can't really complain. So just suck it up and keep moving. Um, mm-hmm. I also feel that our masculinity is tied. I, I've always said black men are hyper masculine uh, because that was put on us to begin with. And we've just internalized it and passed it now. So we have two emotions. We have anger and and I guess laughter, if you call that emotion. I mean, we can laugh and we can be mad. That's really it. 
there's no in between for us. There's no, uh, I just don't feel good today. There's no man. All this stuff is coming down on me. I just need to talk to somebody. I got a, B and C going on. I just need to decompress. There's, there's nothing like that for us because your friend, I would say your average friends can't really help you because they're under the same thing. Uh, so suck it up, keep going. And when, um, go ahead. When you look at not our history, because I honestly don't know enough about our history to be able to say this, this, and this. But when I look at my family's history, one thing always remained true. My grandfathers, both of them, were lauded for, oh, he never took a day off work. He never took a sick day. He pushed through whatever and just was there, always working hard, always just. And and in my mind, it sounds absurd now to have these vacation days, to have all this stuff and never use it because your job needs you, even if it means forsaking your own self, forsaking your own health. But I just I've heard that from like three or four of my friends as well, that their father or their grandfather never took a sick day, that they were a a man's man. And that it's like, yo, I have these vacation days and (laughs) nobody is going to use, like if I don't use them, if I die tomorrow, they just got unused. I'm going to go to the movies and see that movie. And, and to say that, Now, as opposed to back in like even the 80s, even the 90s really was just so opposite of what everybody thought we were expected to do. You were expected to just get up and quietly go to work and quietly deal with all of the stresses and ills and angst and 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 latent racism and just everything. You're supposed to internalize all of that work. And then you're supposed to take all of that back home and just be positive and, 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 and be just upbeat. And it's, it's not possible. It wasn't possible. Then it's not possible now. So when you hear about men who would come home from work and pop open a beer and sink down on the, on the sofa and just watch TV, I, I feel strongly and i never got a chance to ask either of my grandparents or either of my grandfathers because they both died at a very young age but i feel very strongly like they were unable to express what they were feeling from going through all that at work they didn't I feel want that to way too And you don't want to bring it up at home because you're supposed to be strong you're supposed to be the leader of the household and so you just internalize it and try and like hope that it'll just pour out of your skin like sweat. And the next day you'll be able to just get up and be refreshed and reborn and ready to go back to work. And and that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. My dad, um, now that you said that, um, it's a very similar situation. My uncles, my grandfathers, they always worked. They, they were known for working hard. Uh, my first day of kindergarten in 1986, I got up, I got dressed, and my dad was talking to me about school. And he said that 
uh, I was allowed to miss a day of school when he missed a day of work. Mm. And so I probably missed K through 12, two to three days of school, maybe. That's because my dad was military and we moved. Two of those were for that reason. One of them was like 12th grade and I was just really sick. And so I internalized that I had to be there at work or school or whatever every day, no matter what, fever, shaking, tired, hot, sweaty. And then you put financial constraints on that, too. So I need the money. I'm going to be there anyway. Um, and, And so that became an issue for me. But I've taken it all the way to the left of going, well, you know, I've done that with my kids, you know, when they miss a day of school, when my stomach hurts. I, you know, so you want to know how many stomach aches I went to school with? Um, and I've caught myself here in the last year, year and a half. And I've, I've really tried to stop saying that. Uh, whatever they're going through, if they need some time, just take some time. And, and so... I remember being like 26, 27, and I was working a job that had pretty much unlimited overtime. And so I would work 60, 65 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I'd call my dad and I'd be like, hey, look, I got, man, I, I put in 65 hours this week thinking he'd be proud of me. And he was like, why, why would you do that? It, it was watching him work the way he did. He never told me other than that one time anything about what you just mentioned, but I internalized everything you just said mm-hmm. from watching him. Mm-hmm. And my dad had a heart attack, massive heart attack at 54. He'll be, he'll just turned 58. And so that kind of changed everything for me. Cause my dad was my Superman. I mean, he, he went to work every day. He never brought it home. He, he didn't drink very often. So it wasn't like he was just, drinking a six pack every night to cope or anything like that. I mean, we went out and threw baseball, football, whatever. I mean, if that's what we wanted to do, we worked, I helped him work on cars. I mean, he, he was really good at all of that. And I am terrible at it. And so, you know, I have an issue at work. I'm not going to bring it home. I'm not going to take it out of my wife or my kids, but it's still in my head. I'm still not all the way there at dinner. I'm still not, you know, all the way there in the evening. I'm halfway listening to what the kids got to say about what they did today. When I'm thinking about, I really need to figure out how to deal with this situation at work or whatever. And and I feel like it, it can be overt and then it can just be like, uh, I, I look at it like racism down here in the South. It is so subtle that you don't have to notice it. If you aren't looking for it, you won't see it. But it's always there. And so I feel like that's that's part of where we come from. Because there's a stereotype of us being lazy anyway. So you fight that. And you work hard. And you work harder than anybody else. Because you got to work twice as hard to get half as far. And then you're working twice as hard and not getting anywhere. So, I mean, it, it's just hard. It's There's no release for us. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really interesting that we're having this conversation right now. Um, last night, um, my wife and I went out on a date 
with another couple. And uh, so, side note, <clears throat> I just realized uh, this week that when you're married and you're going out with another married couple, it's not really a double date. Your couple is going on a date with their couple. <laughs> and, like, ever. As a couple, you trying to impress the other one, like it's just like a date, right? Mm-hmm. Having conversations before you leave the house. So don't talk for, about this too too long. Don't do this and don't do that and blah blah blah. Like like really trying to impress them and everything. So but anyway, so while we're on this uh, on this date with this other married couple, uh, which went well by the way, I think we'll get a call back three days from now. You know, a text. Um, but in the conversation, the guy um, he bragged about that exact thing, been on the job for 30 years, and he said he, he could count. He's taken three sick days in 30 years, and he was very, very proud of the fact that he doesn't miss days and that he's got you know 30 years' worth of sick days piled up that he's never going to use. And his, you know, his reason for that was exactly what y'all were saying. It's like we just... You have to prove that you're not what they think you are. I got to be here early. I got to be here every day. I got to be better. And it's not because I'm trying to get somewhere else. It's just I just have to prove to them that I'm not what they think I am. And that's that's not a healthy thing for a person to have to live their entire life with. I mean, how much time of enjoying life has this man missed because he feels like, I have to give up the thing that I earned so that the people who work with me won't think less of me and have my entire life revolve around that. I mean, there, I don't think there's anybody else on this earth who does that, and it's a common thing among black men to do that. And it, it I don't think that any, I don't think any less of men who still subscribe to that belief I don't judge them or anything like that. I just wonder, like, what are you missing in your kids' lives? Um, like you said earlier, Corbin, you internalized that one interaction with your dad, and that became your almost mantra uh, because he's your superhero. He, he was your Superman. And it makes me wonder, like, taking all of these days without rest, doing all these things without complaint, what are you missing out on at home? Um, are you missing out on your kids' games? Are you missing out on their their plays? Are you missing out on just their day-to-day lives? Are they just getting a chance to see you come home just drained and unable to really even interact with them because you have to compartmentalize everything you went through at work? Are they wondering if you even love them? Like, my dad was, is, I just retired from the military. And I've known him for 38 years. In those 38 years, he's only said I love you once. And he was drugged up off of uh, pills for when he, he had just torn his Achilles tendon. He had just gotten out of surgery. And while he was off the medication... He told me he loved me and I held on to that like a like a Honus Wagner mint condition rookie card. But it's like what 
do you have to lose by showing more of yourself, by showing that vulnerability? I think that there are still a lot of men, a lot of black men who are worried that if they show that vulnerability, everything else will fall away. Everything else they built up will be gone because, oh, you cried. Oh, you took a day off work. Oh, you supported your kid. Oh, you did this, that, and the third. And I think that there's a real fear of that. Like, it's completely unfounded. But I think that it's also very, very real that we have to hold on to this idea that we are super, that we are superheroes for our kids. But I've seen Superman cry. I saw him sit and talk with somebody about mental health. I've seen him talk a lot of people off his roof, off of a, off of balconies and ledges. Why can't we do the same? I don't know. And and it it just it's important to me that everybody who listens to this show, everybody who's on this show, is able to be as open and honest as humanly possible. Because we are literally trying to become unburdened of the things that are holding us down that are that are weighing us down and sometimes it's mental health but sometimes it's literally the shackles that were placed on us by our elders just what we saw toxic masculinity is a it's it's such a uh it's almost a a trigger point at this point in time as far as conversations because somebody some black folks are going to be like toxic masculinity is nothing but men trying to uh are trying to get in good with black women so then they can get in their beds and no no man it's not that it is simply a realization that the way that we were brought up harmed so many people it's like if you pour toxic waste into a uh, drinking into a drinking uh, drinkable water area. It's not going to harm you if you don't drink it, but it's going to harm everybody else for years to come. It's going to keep affecting people even after you're gone. That's the way I look at toxic masculinity. And so what I'm trying to do within myself is turn off that faucet. That is just releasing that toxic masculinity out. And it is so hard. It is so hard. Because on my Spotify playlist, I still have favorite music. And that some of that favorite music is from the 90s. And I catch myself like, damn, this is really repugnant. And I delete it. I'll be watching a movie and something will happen. I'll be like, okay, yeah, no. And I, I delete it. You know, so I'm I'm calling out, I'm thinning out what I used to find acceptable. And it's not like I'm running from it. It's just the realization that if I get out of oil and clean myself off, it, it takes hard work to wash off oil. Why do I want to go back and sit in that oil again after I've done all that work? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
What are y'all's thoughts on that? So I, I've been doing something similar. Now I don't, I don't stop listening to my music and and everything like that. You know, I just kind of accept that this is the music I grew up in. This is, you know, this is what the the language was back then, and you know, I just accept it for what it is. <clears throat> what I've been doing is I try to look at everything from a perspective of what if this was a white person talking to me and saying this thing to me or thinking this thing about me as a black person and the the frustration that we get, right? The frustration that I feel from the well-intended, well-meaning, I don't even realize that I'm racist, you know, white person who thinks that they're saying all the right things and they think that they're being helpful and they think that they're being a friend or an ally or whatever. And they're the most frustrating person that I've talked to that day because they just don't get it. And yet they think they get it. And then they want to prove to you they get it. And in doing so, not only do they prove they don't get it, but they also piss you off and then get pissed off that you're pissed off because you don't appreciate what they were trying to do. Like it's, that's, um, that is just as toxic. And we complain about that. And then we turn around as men and we do the exact same thing to other men, to women, to members of the LGBTQ community. Like, like all of the things that we get frustrated about with racism, we turn around and we do to each other and to everybody else. We just don't look at it through that lens. So what I've been trying to do is I think about what it is that I'm thinking about saying or, or that I might want to jump in and say because I want to be helpful or I want to be part of the conversation. And I say, you know what, do you have the experience and the perspective to be able to actually add to this conversation right now? And if you don't, shut up and listen because you're going to learn something that you wouldn't have known before. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what I've been working really hard to do is find those opportunities for me to um, to listen without trying to redirect or trying to draw comparisons. That's another really frustrating thing that, that we do, right? Like, oh, you just told me about this thing that really frustrates you, that's unique about your experience. And my first thing is, oh, that's really like this thing that happens to me all the time. See, we're not that much different. That's not unique to you. And... You do it without even thinking about it and don't realize, I just minimize that person's experience. I just told them that what they feel and what they experience and what they see in their life doesn't really mean anything. It's not different from anyone else. Because I I don't experience the nuance that turns it from an annoying thing to a devastating thing. And what I've just done is I have dismissed their, their devastation and then I've made them feel even worse. Um, so that's kind of where my focus is on trying to change it in my life and turn off that faucet, like you were saying. I, I respect that. And, and that's such an important part of, uh, helping to help the next generation get past where we're at is to actively listen to their situation without trying to compare it back on yourself. 
Um, I'm learning constantly about uh, centering and about um, just really trying to be a voice instead of an ear. Um, And it's hard. It is hard because often you like you said, you don't even mean anything by it. You're just trying to lend support, but your support isn't necessary. Um, one of the things that I, I really thought about for a while when uh, this show was uh, being conceptualized was the idea of uh, would this be a show solely uh, for black men or would it be a show where uh, black women's voices would also be uh, heard and, and mental health for basically the black community as a whole. And Ultimately, I decided that the reason why it's going to remain a show for uh, black men's mental health um, is because I can't provide a safe space uh, for women to discuss openly their mental health issues or, or, or troubles they may be having when I am part of the trouble, you know, um, I can't be an oppressor and also be like, Oh, I'm here to support. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be more aware of, how to help out but having a show where black women feel absolutely comfortable to discuss what they may be going through I think that it would have to be something where a uh, uh, it's hosted by a black woman um, and so Ultimately, I made the decision to focus solely on black men. Um, And at some juncture, I'm hoping that um, a some of the luminaries that I know uh, step in and, and say, I want to do one of these for black women. I'll be more than happy to produce it, edit it, whatever you may need. Well, I won't. I don't know. It's not my space. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like I'll be more than happy to have it under the same platform. But other than that, it's not. I I, I just don't feel like I should be stepping into that circle and saying, give me your problems. I am here. 
And then they're like, you're the problem. And I'm like, er, well, that was this episode. And, uh, next episode, I won't be back. Cause yeah, gotta go. Yeah. So that's, I, I just wanted to state that now during the pilot that it, it, there definitely is a need for black folks to be able to unburden themselves. I just haven't, I I just know without a shadow of a doubt that I can't create that space for them. To be completely honest. Am I, do y'all think that I like, is that wrong? Like, is there no I think more people should do stuff like that to be considerate enough to say uh, what do you need from me because I don't know your experience I don't know what you go through and I don't want to minimize it I mean because at the end of the day as a man we're all trash anyway uh, when it's concerning uh, black women and how what they have to deal with um, I don't feel comfortable doing that for any other group than one that I'm a part of um, so that I can give my feedback. I still might not know uh, you guys experience both of you. I, I may not be able to know word for word what you went through growing up up until this very minute, but chances are I'm going to relate to 70, 80, 90, maybe even a hundred percent of what you say. But when someone else, I I may relate to five percent of what they say, and and not not meaningly or meanfully, I might dis just disregard the other ninety five. Not trying to do it on purpose, but it may just come out as something that I I say or do, or maybe if I'm editing a show like you're mentioning, and I cut out something that they really wanted in there. You know, and I'm looking at the technical aspects of it like this really doesn't fit with what we're talking about. But that was something that resonated with everybody in in the show. You know, who am I to do that? So I think you're exactly right. You you know, you know what you're capable of doing and, and how you can help. But you can't do, I guess, the heavy lifting, if that's what I, I mean, like the anything like that. And I respect you for even saying it. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Gerald, uh, yeah, yeah. kind of makes me think, think about the, you know, a few months back when the guy, I think he was out in California, uh, decided to create like a group, a safe space for white males where they could go, they could be around other white men only, they could, have their conversations and ask questions about race and, um, you know, misogyny or whatever it was. And it was intended to be a, a space for white men to go and make their mistakes in saying the wrong things and then kind of learn without feeling like they were under pressure. And the, and the guy had, he got all this backlash, right? And you can see all the different sides of it. It's like, well, how is a group of people going to go and talk about the things that they've never experienced amongst themselves and come out any smarter, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but then the other side of it is, let's be honest, name a place where they could go and they're going to be among 
uh, black people or women or LGBTQ people, and they're going to say that stupid wrong thing, and it's just not going to trigger somebody there to respond because just because of the history, right? And so you you find this catch twenty two where you really do need to have the ability to step away from the collective, be amongst people who you can relate to, who can relate to you, who can relate to the same fears, making the same mistakes, and just work through things um, without it being without it being seen as a negative or well you're excluding us from this thing. Uh, you know, no, I realize that I'm not going to be able to learn the thing, all the things I need to learn just from being in a group around a bunch of other black men. But when I go out and I interact with the world and I see something that I don't understand or I see something that I experience or I have something that I want to come back and share with somebody else who might understand how I experienced that and maybe give me some insight without judgment, yeah, I need to step away from, from the rest of the group. Women need to be able to step away from men, and they do that very well. Like Women do a great job of creating groups for each other where it's just them, and they can express all the things they need to express. They can teach, they can learn, they can emote, they can do all these things, and then they step back into the world and they deal with all the other stuff that's on their shoulders. And men, we just we don't engage like that. You know, we, we just don't. And so it stays bottled up. We need this. So this has been the first episode, the pilot episode of Unburdened. Um, I would like to know, we would like to know what y'all think. Um, if you have anything that you would like to discuss or hear be discussed, hear be. Yeah, I think that works. Or if there's anything you would like to have us discuss, um, our email is black in unburdened at gmail.com. Um, our voicemail number is area code nine one six five seven two nine zero one six. Um, on Twitter, uh, we are available at unburdened pod that's uh u-n-b-u-r-d-e-n-e-d-p-o-d if you want to be on the show please let us know uh we try and provide like i said a safe space for black men to speak their hearts um don't have to use names we could always just use a number you could be number one you could be number five uh, you can be a pseudonym. You could be an initial. Um, but we really want to provide an opportunity for y'all to unload and unburden yourself. Um, one thing that we will ask is that you just be open to opportunities to talk about how you're feeling. And what you're going through. Don't internalize it. Um, reach out to friends. Reach out to family. And express to them what you're, what, what's going on in your day to day. Corbin, you got anything? 
Um, no, I'm just glad you included me on this. I appreciate everything you've done um, to add to the conversation because I feel like we've probably been having this in sputters and spurts and stops and starts and not really gone all the way. And I know I have. I mean, I, I listen to you guys probably two to three times a month where I'm just like, man, I wish I could open up like that. And so it's, it's very, um, I'm very grateful. Let's put it that way. And, um, let's just go from there. Gerald, you got anything? I'm ready to see this thing, uh, become a real conversation. Um, ready to get some things off my chest and, and see other men get things off their chest and, and find out that, you know, it's okay to do that. But this is the first episode of Unburden, the pilot episode. Uh, we're hoping to record uh, weekly. As far as a day, can't say for sure yet. Um, just going to try and get everything ironed out going forward. <laughs> but as soon as we know, you'll know as well. And it's going to be a 30 to 45 minute episode every time. So y'all be good. We'll holler at you later. Hit us if you need us. Peace.